Hi, and thanks for joining me. I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and welcome to our podcast speaker series edition. Number four, we bring you Wendy. Her home group is a women's discussion meeting Saturdays in Toronto. Um, Okay, so hi, everyone. Good morning. My name is Wendy, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I am sitting here in my home in Toronto, uh, Ontario, um, and this is the earliest I've ever gotten up to speak at a meeting. Um, I don't see myself doing it again. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. Um, but when your sponsor asks, you say yes. And um, so uh, my no- sobriety date is November 18th, 2019. Uh, so I'm just just over three years now. And um, as one time my sponsor joked with me that uh, I'm still in diapers, but I'm not crapping myself anymore. So um, that's a good reminder for me uh, to welcome in humility into my life on a daily basis um, with this program and in my recovery. Um, so we are here to share my experience, strength, and hope. And as the literature says, you know, uh, our stories stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. And I like to state that at the beginning to remind myself that it's not like what other people in my life are like, um, not like all the other circumstances in my life are like. It's like what I was like and what happened and what I was like now. And that just helps me to not get too involved in the narrative of um, how things used to be for myself. I also really appreciate the opportunity to speak because it gives me a chance to reflect on my story. And every time I do, I really see the progress actually that has come along in my recovery because I'm not so marred down in the um, struggles, I guess you could say. My perspective constantly changes um, and moving away out of sort of, you know, this victimhood um, element and definitely more into the strength and into the solution. And as I have a bit more time in sobriety, I also have a bit more experience in recovery as well. So how I used to be like was, um, well, I was very fearful. Uh, I was raised in a a home that uh, there was alcoholism present. Um, My father was a more aggressive um, alcoholic. And my mother was uh, definitely more of kind of the hide under the bed, um, hide things everywhere alcoholic, um, a bit of a battered wife syndrome as well. And so... I didn't really feel very safe um, growing up. Um, There was a lot of conflict and it resulted in me being really, really insecure and um, just being really scared of a lot of things. And uh, I remember when I was a kid and, you know, something would blow up at home and um, my mom would used to like bring me into the, the room and we would pull out the special stash of food underneath the bed, um, the special chocolates and cookies and whatnot. And so that was the first introduction for me in how to deal with big feelings with things outside of myself. And um, I definitely kind of 
took on roles in the house of the protector. Um, I got really good at hiding. I got really good at hiding my brother um, and hiding myself. Um, I got really good at comforting my mom and um, really good at placating my father and just being whatever I needed to be so that I could be safe. And so I developed this sort of kind of mentality that if people didn't like me, then that meant I was no good and that I was not um, safe. And if they didn't like me, they would be angry at me and hurt me. And so it became what I learned to now know after doing my fourth, I was riddled with emotional insecurity and a certain, um, a lot of codependency that was present. Um, in my adolescence, I, you know, really took hold of that protector role and I was the parent a lot in the house. Um, my mom's, uh, you know, my parents split up and I eventually lived with my mom and her alcoholism really took a turn. And also she got involved um, with a lot of opioids. And so the house, again, there was not a lot of safety. And um, I was the parent, I was the mom, I, um, I felt that I needed to fix everything. And I needed to just be good and, you know, make sure that, again, everyone liked me. And so the person, you know, and it was a lot of secrets, everything that happened at home, I couldn't bring outside of the home. Um, because, you know, if anytime police were involved, or, you know, child services or anything like that, um, it just actually made things a lot worse. And so I learned how to really keep everything uh, inside and bottle it up. And so the Wendy at home was kind of just very, um, you know, I struggled. Um, I was worried a lot. I worried, I worried so, so much. Um, and, and then outside of the home, I was like, who do I need to be to make sure that you like me? Um, and I still, and so I, I kind of developed early on this dual identity. And, um, you know, alcohol was always around in the house. And I always thought, you know, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to be like my parents. And um, for a while, it was it was OK. I really I really wasn't interested in alcohol. Um, you know, I was the one that poured the drinks for people, you know, one or two fingers or three fingers. Right. Um, in the glass. Like. That's how I was told to pour drinks, pour me a two finger, Wendy, right? And I'm like, you know, 10 years old and that type of thing. So I, um, I, I knew that alcohol could, could be problematic. And I, and I lived with the problems of what alcoholism brings into a family. Um, when I was a teenager, though, I started to drink more socially. Well, I started to drink and drink socially. Um, right off the bat, I was a definite binge drinker. And what I learned with alcohol when I did start to drink socially is that I didn't worry anymore. Um, it took away the serious Wendy. You know, I was always very, you know, making sure everyone was good, making sure everything was okay. And, you know, that, that dinner was ready and all, you know, whatever schoolwork, all these things. But when I drank, it's like it just disappeared. Um, I didn't have to worry anymore. And I thought that, and people were like, Wendy, you're so fun. I had no idea how fun you were. And so I was kind of getting this reinforcement that 
Um, I was only fun when I drank and I ran with that. Like I really did. Um, and it, it helped me to not feel so much like I was living a, a double life. Um, and with my friends, I could just relax and be a kid and, and, you know, do stuff that teenagers do and, and all that stuff. And, and, you know, my, my mom, she, uh, I didn't really get reprimanded for my drinking at all. Um, it was a party house when I was a teenager with my mom and, and her boyfriend. Uh, there was always drugs and alcohol around. And so for me coming home drunk or being drunk in the house, it was just like another person in the house that was partying. So there was really no sort of like ramifications or getting into trouble as long as I kept my my school grades up. And, you know, I became... I became really resourceful to how to survive as well. I, um, you know, I became friends with the janitor at my high school who let me in early in the mornings at like 6 a.m. so I could go in and do my homework um, because my home was not conducive to anything because I learned that the, you know, the only way I could get out was through school. Um, that, that's what I, I turned to. Um, and so I eventually left home uh, around 17, 18. And um, I put everything that I experienced in my childhood and adolescence into a metaphorically speaking suitcase. And I thought, I'm just going to keep it in that suitcase and I don't need to talk about it ever again. Um, I got through it. I survived. Here I am. We're okay. You know, I'm fine. That became my motto. I'm fine. Um, and so in my early 20s, I'm 43, by the way. So uh, in my in my twenties, the the, uh, the social drinking continued for me, but it was very much like there was never one or two drinks. I didn't know what one or two drinks looked like. That didn't make any sense to me. Um, if I was drinking, I was drinking to get drunk, and I was drinking to forget. And again, it reinforcing for me that I I'm, I'm better person when I'm drinking. Um, I don't worry so much. I don't stress out so much. Um, I get, I, you know, kind of develop this like F everything, you know, mentality when I drank and I, and I felt like I could really be myself when I was drinking. Um, and <clears throat> I was a blackout drunk pretty early on. Uh, and you know, at the beginning I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but I still didn't see any signs like there was still no warning signs for me, um, you know, no flags that this was heading into a direction that was going to, you know, become really problematic. Um, you know, I was still very much trying to navigate my relationships with both my parents. My father's sober. He's sober now, almost he's over 30 years sober now. So he got sober when I was a kid, actually. Um, and when he sobered up, um, he was also diagnosed with bipolar. So, you know, my experience with him as an alcoholic, he was on and off the wagon, as he called it all the time. And um, but also as an undiagnosed bipolar, there was a lot of. A lot. <laughs> um, but he got sober. He didn't he didn't go through AA. Um, and. Um, but he was very, very dry, I would say. 
um, through, you know, my early adulthood and whatnot. And my mom was just um, really on, she was stuck in her path between um, medication. Uh, she had multiple sclerosis. And so, um, you know, opioids were very prominent. And then, of course, alcohol was always there. Um, and she was a hider. She would hide everything. And, you know, again, with the food, um, big feelings are dealt with things outside of yourself. Um, so food, booze, pills. Um, when I was 13, I tried to commit suicide because, again, big feelings. I don't know what to do with that. Um, I really did think that life was really, really hard and that it wasn't, um, I just couldn't do it anymore. And then when that didn't work, I felt even more shame <laughs> because I couldn't even do that right. Um, and so again, this is all in the suitcase though, right? That I put away because I'm fine and everything's good. So, you know, in the, as my twenties and my thirties, I just really focused on work and I became a workaholic. And it was like, if I do well at work, if I keep doing well, if I do all the things, if I get my own place, if I make the money, you know, um, and I travel, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And, um, you know, I was able to somehow manage relationships and all my friends, you know, again, it was like, Wendy's the reliable one. We can count on her. We can go to her for anything. And F she's a lot of fun. Um, and, um, that all kind of came to a screeching halt in 2013. My mom passed away very suddenly. I was on the phone with her and over in my lunch break. And then I got a phone call at four o'clock that afternoon that she died. And um, it, the grief was overwhelming. Um, there was a lot of, you know, the relationship was so complicated with her. I was her mom, it felt like. And so that's where I call it kind of like the turning point in my alcoholism, because again, really big feelings. And when I say big feelings, I mean like profound sadness, um, profound shame, um, anger, which I didn't know what to do with. I never felt that I could be angry because again, if I was angry, maybe someone wouldn't like me. And if they didn't like me, then that meant I was a failure. And um, and so I started to really, really lean into my alcohol and I took ownership of it too. I was like, I don't need to be with anyone to drink. I could drink by myself. You know, I'm an independent woman. I had, you know, uh, come out of a long-term relationship. And so I explored drinking <clears throat> on my own and the, uh, you know, I just remember it was, you know, big feelings and drink. And I started to go to the bars a lot on my own and make new friends. And these new friends were amazing because they had lots of drugs. And, um, you know, I didn't have to hide anything from them with my drinking because they drank just like me. And it started to impact my work. And um, I, uh, you know, my work was really kind of burning a hole in my soul. Um, I was in the law industry, in the law field. It was kind of eat what you kill, billable hours. And um, I, I just, I, like I, on a day-to-day -day basis, I got into the cycle of I need to drink to function. 
Um, it no longer was a social thing for me. It turned into very much of I prefer to drink on my own. Um, and, you know, when I did drink around people and those so-called friends, um, it got really messy. I got really, really messy. And it, I was no longer the fun Wendy when I was drinking. And so, you know, I'm late, late thirties and things really, really are ramping up in my, with my alcoholism, but I still never thought that I was an alcoholic. I was so deny in such denial about it. I just knew that something was wrong with me. And I felt that I was like, I, something's wrong. I can't, I'm constantly sad or I'm constantly not feeling anything. And I learned that my alcohol actually, I, I, at, at one point I was in, I was so disassociated with my life. Like I felt like I was on the ceiling looking at myself third in a, you know, in a body that drinking actually helped me to feel, you know, I would, I would come across situations and it would be like, I should feel sad or more sad. So I'm going to drink and I should be happy about this. I need to drink. So it's funny because it started with drinking to numb my feelings when then it, towards the end, it became as a way to actually feel things because I was already so numb. Um, and my performance at work really, really started to struggle. I could hardly make it into the office without an anxiety attack, panic attack. Um, I was always sick physically. Um, again, not thinking alcohol had much to do with it. Um, and eventually my work was like, we, we need to send you for an evaluation. You know, if you're going to be off work all this much, um, our employee assistance program, we're going to send you for a psyche valve. And that included a substance use, um, evaluation as well. And it was a four hour stint. And it was the first time I actually admitted how much I had been drinking. You know, I was one of those drinkers where I would have like that one bottle with friends. But then when I got home, I had three others right? Like I was always waiting to just get home and really drink. Um, and I definitely had that mentality where if we were out and I was always worried if there was going to be enough booze, I was always worried if I had enough booze at home, did I get out in time, you know, so that I could get to the boot, the liquor shop before it closed. Um, you know, it was that mental obsession was absolutely present for me. And, um, you know, during this evaluation, I actually I don't know what it was. I mean, I was so hungover when I went into this thing. Um, and I feel like because maybe it was a stranger, I could actually be honest. I don't know if anyone feels that way. Sometimes you kind of just tell stuff to a stranger you maybe otherwise wouldn't tell to your friends. And and so, you know, as soon as I walked out of there, I'm like, holy crap, she's going to think I'm an alcoholic. Like, there is no doubt they're going to call me an alcoholic. And the thing is, is that I learned that I was in denial about my alcoholism because it didn't look like my dad and it didn't look like my mom's. And those were my reference points. And I was in a home. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, unhoused, um, unemployed or anything like very high functioning person and, you know, this big person at work. And, and so after that evaluation, you know, what happened was they're like, you need to go into treatment. And I'm like, there's no effing way I'm going to treatment. They're like, if you want to come back to work, if you want to maintain a job, if you want to, you know, have any sort of benefits right now, um, because you clearly can't work, you need to go. And so I found a note the other day, two days before I went into this treatment facility, <clears throat> and it said, alcohol is not my problem. 
I wrote. I said, there's something else going on and I don't know what it is, but something's wrong. Something's really wrong, but it's not alcohol. And because I knew this treatment facility was 12-step based abstinence, I said, I don't need a big book to tell me anything, right? I was so defiant in my note to myself. I guess I was, I think I was raging in my, you know, alcohol abused, whatever, haze before going into this thing. And so I went, walked into the treatment facility though. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm here. I know something's wrong. Whatever they say about the booze, fine. Okay. But just get me some help. I need help because I can't do this anymore. You know, that suitcase was rotting and it was festering and it was poisoning me. It only took about a week in that treatment facility for me to realize that I was 100% an alcoholic, 100% hands down, and that there was no way that I was going to be able to deal with anything in that suitcase unless I, you know, came to terms with my alcoholism. You know, I couldn't do anything with that suitcase if I was drinking. And in that treatment facility, I had to attend an AA meeting um, daily. And so I started to get used to the saying, hi, my name is Wendy and I'm an alcoholic. And it felt really freaking weird. And um, I was there for nine weeks in that treatment facility. I was also diagnosed with complex PTSD. I had clinical depression, general anxiety disorder. and. I, you know, I had to start to unpack that suitcase. And it was challenging for me because when you tell yourself you're fine for so many years and decades, um, and then to start sharing a little bit about it and thinking that that was normal, like the way that I was, I was operating in the survival. I thought that that was normal because I was fine. And they're like, that's not normal, Wendy. You know, it wasn't normal what you grew up with, how you've been living your life. And I'm like, but how else can I live? I really didn't know. <clears throat> and so I figured, well, if I'm attending AA meetings daily, I may as well freaking start to listen. And, um, you know, wouldn't you know, as maybe some of you have been experiencing also why you're here today still is I started to hear my story. You know, and I, I, I learned that I wasn't alone in that, that I wasn't alone with my suitcase, you know, and that other people had their own suitcases and maybe not exactly the same, but those same big feelings. You know, those same feelings of shame and profound sadness and anger and spirals, you know, everyone had their suitcase. And when I started to hear about other people's, I was, and then to see that they were in recovery though, I was like, holy shit, maybe there is another way. And so I jumped on the AA train. I was like, you know what? I'm in it. If I'm here, I'm going to do this and I'm going to actually be open mind and I'm going to be willing and I'm just going to listen. And so I came out of the treatment facility after nine weeks and I was really in my trauma treatment at that time as well. Started seeing a trauma therapist weekly 
And I did what I was told to do. I went to a meeting. I, I got home around six o'clock that night. I put my bags down. I had a shower and I went to a meeting that night. And I purposely went and I found meetings in my area that were within 30 minutes of my house so that I had no excuse. And on the second day out of treatment, I found my first sponsor. And she's like, we need to do the step. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, we're doing the step. Um, I, uh, and I was a little nervous. And I learned that when I was in step one, that as much as I was admitting that I was an alcoholic, I was still struggling to accept that I was an alcoholic. And you, you might hear some people say admitting and accepting is the same thing. But for me, it wasn't. It really wasn't because I could admit to the cows come home. Hi, my name is Wendy and I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm an alcoholic, you know, but it wasn't until I could accept that that's what I was and accept what my alcoholism looked like, you know, because I was always, I was comparing it. And once I accepted it though, and it wasn't like this big aha moment. It was just more of Wendy, if you're going to do the steps, you need to accept because there's no turning back here. You're, you know, I'm not, I'm, I, I never really did anything half-ass and I didn't want to do this half-ass. And I knew my life was unmanageable because Brig, I was in a treatment facility for nine weeks. I mean, clearly I didn't have my shit together. You know, clearly things were not manageable. And when I accepted that I was an alcoholic, I found I could rest. I, it was this relief that I didn't have to deny anymore. I didn't have to deny to myself. I didn't have to deny to anyone else. All my close friends, family knew that I was going into treatment. They were, you know, I don't know about this because I was so like, alcohol's not my problem. Fuck, you know. But when I came out, I was like, alcohol, 100% is part of the problem. And, you know, it, and they were like, okay, Wendy. And I'm like, I'm an alcoholic. They're like, okay, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, okay. And I was like, and I'm an AA. They're like, oh, okay. This is this, okay. Whatever you need to do, you know, they're like, we just want Wendy back. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's good because I don't even know who the F Wendy is. You know, I don't know who I am. You know, I've got this suitcase that's stinking the crap out of me. All of this. So, you know, when they say I and I'm glad that I was open about it to my to my people and not caring, not hiding it from anyone, because it made a world of difference when it came time to making my amends, because I didn't have to like explain to people what I was trying to do or anything like this, right? Like I, they knew. And so anyhow, I was a meeting person. I was, you know, I did over, I think I did a close to 120 meetings in 90 days. And um, again, I was doing what I was told, but where the magic really, 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 really happened for me was in the step work. And it was, you know, so step one, it was like accepting and resting in that, you know, I didn't have to fight it anymore. I wasn't denying it anymore. It was like accepting it and being like, that's okay. I am okay. The world has not ended because I've admitted and accepted that I'm an alcoholic. 
if anything, my world is now just beginning because I'm no longer putting energy into this like denial of the fact, right? My ego was like, I'm freaking tired. My ego was like, girl, we are done. Um, and so when it came to step two, though, with the whole higher power concept, I had always believed that there was something that was like bigger than me. You know, I, I called it the universe and, you know, the nature, you know, I, how can you explain how a tree survives and how it talks to each other underground, the trees, like, obviously there's something bigger than me out there, but this whole connecting to it and thinking it was going to restore me to sanity. I'm like, I don't know about that. Right. And so my sponsor had me put together a list of all these qualities I would want in a higher power. And I made this list and it had things like disciplined, sense of humor, you know, and I realized that this list was like this amazing uh, best friend that anyone could ever have that I could ever want. And I looked at the list and I'm like, I'm going to call this friend Laura. And uh, I was visiting my dad. Um, and he asked me, how's this whole God thing going for you with AA, right? Because that really turned him off. And I explained to him, well, I'm actually on step two right now. And I made this list and I explained and, and I said, and I've named it Laura. And he just looks at me and he starts to laugh. And I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. And he's like, you had an imaginary friend named Laura. And he's like, she came to dinner all the time. And she was your imaginary friend for about two years. And um, you know, that for me was like, okay, I don't need to argue with this anymore. You know, Laura has always been with me. Um, I just lost contact with her. And even though throughout my whole time in my drinking career, she was trying to get my attention. I mean, I suffered two serious concussions. I've broken bones. I've had a lot of near misses. But you know what? The reason I was still alive, that none of that killed me, I firmly believe, was because of Laura. Right. And so that got me through step two. And it was like me and Laura back together. Where's my sanity, though? I want to be sane. And I had to remember, though, is that and what it explains in the 12 and 12 is that you got to keep going. Right. You got to continue. You got to, you know, give, you know, turn your will over. Right. Get work on your ego. Clean house. Do your inventory you know, make amends, take responsibility for your actions, all these things. And I've learned that those subsequent steps is what has helped to restore me to sanity, all with the help of God. You know, Laura has now morphed into God. It actually depends on my mood each day. Sometimes it's the universe, sometimes it's Laura, sometimes it's God, sometimes it's the moon, sometimes it's Mother Earth, whatever. It's not me, though. And so, you know, up in steps one, two, and three, Three, I struggled with a bit because I'm like, I don't know how to turn things over. I don't know what that actually looks like. But what I learned is that I had to release control, this element that I needed to control everything to feel safe, right? That was what was big for me, you know, and it's, it talks about that in the big book, right? Like being in the director's chair and directing everything and making sure all the lighting is good and all the players are doing their thing and we're good, right? Well, I learned that like that actually got me nowhere and that the more I was trying to exert control over things that I was exhausted and it wasn't going my way. You know, I'd be, I was too dependent emotionally and secure on people. 
you know, either I completely iced you out or I was like, I need all of you. Give me, give me everything. Right. Because I didn't know what to do with me and I didn't know what to do with those big feelings. And so throughout my step work, though, I was also working with my therapist, my trauma therapist, and I brought him in in the process, especially for step four. And step four for me was a turning point. And I know some people, they get stuck, right? They do one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And it's like four is like, I can't do it. You know, I'm not like, or people go back out. You know, I see it happen a lot as well. But four is what I call the roadmap of my sickness. And actually it empowered me because I actually saw, so I approached it as like, you know, in the big book, it talks about taking inventory, right? Like any business owner would do. And so I could get behind that. The four and the 12 and 12 really scared the crap out of me. I mean, it's talking about the seven deadly sins. It goes on for like 10 pages and it's like so heavy. And I'm like, this is like super intense. But the big book talking about the four, I could get behind. Let's take an inventory. You know, so I kind of approached it that I was uh, a historian going through a history book and just pulling out the facts. I didn't have to get bogged down by the facts. I didn't have to sit in that space and wallow with it and all of that. I could just, I was just taking a facts and it was like taking notes in a class. And so my note taking showed me how emotionally insecure I was. And when it came to my trauma, it wasn't about where my part was when it happened as a child, because as a child, none of that is our fault. But as an adult, it's my responsibility to get help. As an adult, it's my responsibility to not carry around that suitcase and to not put all of that on other people who have no idea what that suitcase is like. But I'm reacting, not responding, reacting out of my suitcase, right? Trauma responses, all of that. My nervous system was completely shot. So I was super hypervigilant and super like uh, 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 type of thing. And it just, you know, it was exhaust. I was exhausting to be around, but I saw all these patterns and it was like, you know, getting those defects, which I sometimes think about as defense mechanisms, right? Um, my survival skills, because I, I, it, they got me through, but they weren't working anymore. You know, I was having, un, I had unrealistic expectations of people who were not well, sick people, right? Um, you know, the constant need for validation from someone else to think I'm okay. Like, am I okay? I don't know. Do you think I'm okay? If you think I'm okay, then I'm okay, right? All of these things. And, and so it, it was... And my fears, I realized how fearful I really was here. I thought I was just like strong. Nothing can get me anything at all. But no, I was like the biggest scaredy cat. Um, and so it was empowering, though, because I was like, I can change this. Now that I see this, you know, now that I have these facts. I don't want to be like this anymore. Like, I don't want to. And I don't have to, you know, that's the beauty. We have choice, right? The power that's part, like part of our higher powers power is inside us as free will. And that's to be able to make a choice, right? And so 
every day at that point, like, and still I wake up every day and I'm choosing not to drink and I pray and I invite my HP in Laura, whatever. I chat with her all the time and I choose. And so in my fourth, after that, I was like, I'm choosing to do things differently, right? I don't want to be this way anymore. And now that I know what this looks like, instead of looking at this and being all depressed about it and being all like, oh, I'm such a human failure. It's like, no, girl, get my head out of my ass. What are we going to do about it now? And what was the answer? Continue with the step, right? Because it's, it's all in that order for a reason. So, you know, did the fifth, get to six and seven. And, um, you know, for me, that's meat and potatoes right there is our six and seven for me. And it's not like I, you know, there are some things that were really hard for me to let go. Um, and they still are because they're just kind of wired in me. These like survival mechanisms that no longer are, are good for me. <laughs> I realized that. But when we have all these Hey, I, I, when I talk to my sponsee about it, it's like, we see all these roads that we've traveled, all these in grooved roads and they're paved and they're well-trodden. But when we're working through our recovery and going through, especially, you know, six and seven, these are new roads we're trying to pave. And it requires us though, to walk down the road. The road doesn't just clear itself for us, right? HP whatever that looks like for you, it's there as reinforcements, but you know, faith without works is dead. We have to take action. I, and this is what I was telling myself. And so it's like, you know, getting through my defects and surrendering them and, and asking for help every day with them, you know, that's part of like clearing away the brush down these new roads, right? Remembering like, I don't need to be like this anymore. I don't want to be down this road anymore, like this old road, right? And even though it's on the map, because I have the map, I'm carving out a new map. Um, but it requires action. And it requires me for me to actually, like, I can't just pray to God and be like, please take away my insecurity. Thank you. And then not do anything that day. You know, that is that doesn't align with that, right? So it, it, that's been, and, and it comes up for me, especially in relationships, right? I, I recently ended a relationship because I was in, and I, I learned like it wasn't going well and I was feeling really shitty and very uh, not peaceful and, or, and all this stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? And I, I, I went back to my fourth and I saw, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm living in my defects. Like, how you know so these are old worn paths but what i when i saw that though i'm living in my defects i knew that i had the power to choose to choose differently right and so i ended that relationship and i didn't point fingers at the other person or anything i said this is not right for me anymore these are patterns i'm trying to not live in anymore i can't be with you anymore right and it was like the most it was like adulting like adulting is hard man you know it is but the the more we do it, then practice at it, the bit a bit of easier it gets, right? And the whole point for me that I've realized, you know, more recently when I think about my step work and all that, is that it's creating a life where we don't want to drink. Like we know in our head we don't want to drink, right? We don't drink. But when we're living in the steps, 
And when we're applying the principles of these programs to all our, this program to all of our affairs, we're not being an asshole. We're not running on ego. We're not, you know, being, having conflict so much in relationships or anything. And it just becomes easier to live. And therefore not really wanting to drink because the life that we're living, the life that I'm living, I'm, you know, there's things I'm still struggling with right now. I live with an eating disorder and I'm really struggling in that right now. Right. But I'm not drinking because my life right now still is better. And, you know, the steps brought that to me because it's like, I'm better in my relationships. You know, I'm not so emotionally dependent on other people. Right. Would I rather be right? Or would I rather be kind? I choose kind now. You know, if you want to be in your space and all that, like, I don't got time for that. I don't need it. I don't want it. You know, I don't, peace. And the primary relationships I do have, it's been reworking them and re, you know, setting those boundaries and finding that balance and learning how to be okay. Learning about me. Like, what does Wendy need here? What does Wendy like here? You know, who is Wendy? And I have a hundred percent better sense of who I am now than I was three years ago, right? And I'm still getting to know myself and I'm in these transitions and a lot of my friendships and that's okay because that's a chance for me to get to know myself even more and to, you know, be with my higher power and to really figure out what I, what, how do I want to be in my relationship? Relationships can be our biggest source of conflict. How do I want to be, you know? So I didn't go back to work. I quit. I went back to school and I'm now uh, in my last semester as in a, in a program for addiction, mental health worker, a social service worker. I plan on continuing in that in the fall um, in uh, indigenous social work, really interested in working in the, in, with the indigenous community uh, here in Canada. And, um, you know, it's, I feel more about my, like, I just feel I know me more now than I ever have. That suitcase got unpacked. It's still being unpacked. You know, me and my trauma therapist, we're still pretty tight. But as I've unpacked that, it creates more new room for new things and new experiences. Um, I work with a sponsee. She's amazing. And it absolutely enriches my own program. Um, you know, continuing with the steps eight and nine. I mean, those aren't easy. It's never fun. But it's a kind of freeing to take. It's like it, I, I find freedom in taking responsibility for my actions now. Because I don't want to carry that crap around with me. Like, is my side of the street clean? Great. I don't need to bring your side over to mine, you know? And again, it's like creating the life that where alcohol isn't even part of the equation because the life is just generally more peaceful. And that's my responsibility to choose every day, to do things differently, to try to bring in compassion for myself, compassion with others. I've learned absolutely the more compassionate and non-judgmental I am of myself, the less I am with others, you know, it's just easier. It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that every day is like roses and sunshines and I'm with unicorns all the time. But 
you know, it's by far the most enriching part of my life so far the last three years. I'm still in those diapers, right? Not shitting myself anymore, though. And I'm still navigating a lot. And whenever I start to feel a little stuck or gross or something, I go back to the step. The steps for me is where the magic happens. <clears throat> I really dove into steps uh, 11. And I learned that the spiritual principles of this program are pretty universal, right? Kind, compassionate, forgiveness, tolerance, love, respect. Those are the principles that I live by now. I do my best. And as a result, my life is much easier to live in. So thank you everyone for having me this morning. Thank you. Wendy, thank you so much for being our fourth speaker on Two Sober Chicks podcast speakers series. We hope you join us for any of our regular editions. And hey, please keep coming back for more speakers on Two Sober Chicks.